War Podcast Episode 10 Go. Hi, Dylan. Hi. How are you? I'm good. Oh, you sound excited. I am. Excited for what? Podcast. Podcast? Podcast. Uh, alright, well, it's been a week. Still nothing's on the website, we gotta do that at some point. Damn it. Dylan, that's your fault. I'm sorry. I'm just kidding. I'm it's a not, failure. It's not your fault. It's I'm a failure to us all. Um, what's been going on, man? Nothing much. Um, just, you know, the old school life. School life? What's going on with school? Turned in the first uh, act of my screenplay. That's last exciting. Week. Yeah. And then we started reading by the classmates. And um, that's always fun, workshopping other people's writing. That sounds fun. Yeah. What do you guys do for your workshops? Every creative writing workshop is basically the same. You just set the tables into a big square. Mm-hmm. And every, you know, we pick one of the students writing and we talk about it and then that student can't speak to the length that we're critiquing their work and then after we finish they get to ask us questions or or respond to our critiques and usually you get things like yeah I knew I did that wrong and you know it's usually time time's the biggest time's the enemy of us all so oh uh, because they had to get it done yeah so when do you feel like it's productive for you when you do that stuff yeah because the the professor always uses the students work as examples for everyone to improve he told us to make sure that the characters use each other's names because mm-hmm. when you're reading the screenplay they have the character headings mm-hmm. with all the characters names listed there so the reader knows the characters names mm-hmm. but an audience member if this would be turned into a movie isn't going to know right. their name because just like oh these are just two people talking to each other but they never like drop their name in any part of the conversation and you have to do it more eloquently than saying like hi bob hi jim how are you doing today do you do that less in the later acts when the characters are established in yeah. the minds of the viewer yeah unless you need, unless you need to introduce a, a new, new character. character and then another thing he used this film term which i never heard about before called hanging a lantern on it mm-hmm. so i think a great example in that would be GTA 4 as an example in games because in GTA 4 Nico is basically the straight man and everyone else is like a larger than life character Mm -hmm. so Nico is the one coming in saying this is all crazy so hanging a lantern on it means that everyone is basically everything is kind of out of sync with how actual life works and as long as you have a character pointing that out to the audience the audience has someone to be their avatar in the story. All right, it's like a straight man in any comedy stuff. Yeah. The guy that can recognize the absurdity. Yeah, I just never heard the term hanging a lantern on it. Where does it come from? Attached from it. I have no idea. He didn't go into the um, etymology. I guess to give you like a, a sense of direction to follow. Yeah. Well, that's cool. Yeah. Cool. What'd you do, class-wise? Uh, what didn't I do? We... Oh, I learned a lot about these things called little bits, which are uh, tiny zeros and ones. No, they're well. It's a play on that, but they're um, they're like if you were to take a Raspberry Pi or an Arduino and you uh, really 
broke it down to just the components that go into things that you can connect an Arduino to, and then they just daisy chain via magnets. So it's all about current flow, but it lets you build really, really fat. Like if you need like a prototype of something that, when I say Mason, the lights turn on in the room. Okay. Um, and it's just super simple, like Python programming, and uh, it's pretty cool. Um, so we're gonna use that for our next build that I'm doing. I was just gonna say it's really interesting. You kind of learning all of these skills kind of as you need them yeah because you never took a physics class right Mm-mm. yeah because like the second half of the university physics you go into electromagnetism mm-hmm. and i bet that would be super helpful for what you're doing right now or the circuit i, g- I guess chapters the thing is though is that the the, the skill set that they teach you for what i'm learning is more about just it has to be enough right to work and that's that goes a long way, especially at the pace that things are moving. Um, so, it's one thing, like, they really focus on that that uh, T-shaped person that's really good at a lot of things and really good at one thing. So I think that a lot of my program's focus is to get you your hands dirty with a lot of stuff so you could use it when you need to, and then you get really good at, like, some kids get really good at art direction in terms of like the web, some kids get really good. A lot of kids will go into copywriting out of my my track. Um, UX is the one that I want to get really into. But yeah, so we did that, and then we had our our weekly creative thinking slaughter, and that was fun. What'd you do in that? Uh, I made a comic about monsters. Oh, okay. That's what that class is. I showed. I actually showed you how it worked. They they take a photo of you and your work, and it sits in the building the whole week. And it's, you know, just a constant posturing. A bit, a bit, if you're not comfortable with, like, looking at photographs of yourself, you get over that real quick. Yeah, they make you, I mean, the, the, the best part about it is that because it's up the whole week, you really think about how your work reflects on you. So it's not just making ideas that you like, but making stuff that you're proud to put your face next to, which I really like. And it's actually made me work more... In terms of making stuff that I feel like is true to me, like draw, I've been doodling monsters since the beginning of time. Mm-hmm. You know, like I feel like everything I've done for that class, I'll go down a route that I think people will like, and then I'll scratch that and just go with the thing that feels genuine to me. Because at the end of the day, I have to look at my stupid face next to it, and if I feel like there's a disconnect from my eyes down to the paper, there's a problem. Yeah, so I like that a lot. But most of the first semester seems to be just getting you used to being torn apart so that you learn how to approach your work with a level like a bar of quality that you expect out of yourself and then also that you can take the feedback no matter how brutal it is and you can always make it productive and I think I've gotten better at that I got eviscerated Tuesday night just for uh, one of our presentations about a, a Jurassic Park game I didn't get a vi- I, I took it as being eviscerated. Everyone else said that I, we did fine, you know? It's probably because you were more attached to it. Right. Well, I'm attached to it, but also I want to be the one that, like, sticks the landing every time. Um, and nothing possible. You're in the wrong trades for that. Yeah, I know. Um, but I think that, you know, even if you can, if you act like it's close to ready to go, like, if you can relay that to a potential... Uh, buyer or a potential anyone if they can believe your core idea 
it can go they can they'll fill a lot of the logic for you and i fail on that part because um, explaining augmented reality versus showing it is if you just show it it's so much easier it's just like vr you can talk about vr all you want but um show them that time article or cover yes Palmer lucky flying through the air yeah it's like this but um yeah school was it's 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 hard it's really hard yeah but it's gonna tomorrow we have a massive presentation and then I think I should have some time again to our next assignment's awesome it's make a new hero for Marvel oh god yeah they should just fly a Marvel exec in so we have to make a new a new superhero that's relevant to the culture and the time so there's gonna be a lot of women superheroes right while I was thinking like I feel like DC needs that more in Marvel because Marvel has, you know, Miss Marvel is now. Yeah, but there's still a, a, a heavy masculine. But I, I don't want to. Lady Thor. I don't mind. I mean, I think that there needs to be more women superheroes, but I think that what I would like to see is, like, someone make a old superhero. A la, have you ever seen um, Invincible? Not Invincible. The one with Bruce Willis? Unbreakable. Unbreakable? No, I read about that because we talk about... <laughs> M. Night Shyamalan a lot in my screenwriting class well, for un- some reason. Unbreakable is really cool. I really like that movie. But he's a dad. He's, you know, he's old guy. And I think that that's an interesting... Uh, I think a guy... I think it's why I like The Incredible so much. Because Mr. Incredible and Mrs. Incredible are past their time. Yeah. Which is why I think they're so interesting. And I think even if you went a little older, especially because I think more and more in our culture, ageism is a thing. Where our culture is always very young very new very fast very attractive and there's something there's a lot of merit to in my mind people that have spent years and years developing and honing skills and and, and approaching um just being good at stuff so i think it'd be really cool to have like a superhero that was the the one who's done it all um right and he's moved on. Like you had, he like realized that being like old Batman rocks. Right. That's what I was gonna bring yeah. up. Yeah. Um. Then Mark Miller also. Oh, star. Yeah. You looking up? Um. What's it called? It's not. Is it Stardust? I don't think it's Stardust. I don't know what it's called. But I know what you're talking about. Yeah. Because isn't awesome. that isn't that kind of similar? But it's like Flash Gordon. Yes. Kind of. So I think that that's a cool space, and I mean, you could do an old woman. Like I think if you had a a superhero that was kind of like M. Oh, from from James Bond. Uh huh. You know, like like she was, she's she's done her her field work. She's now running the show, but she's at the end of the day like you work to her, and she has her own like. Because M is a really interesting character too. I think Starlight is what it's called. Starlight. So, yeah, but that that's all still being like concepted out, and I'm sure people will want to make a woman that's young and is not white, and that's fine too. But I think that the only problem with that is that I think that that in the next six years you're going to see a lot of that. And that's a good, that's a great thing. But I think that you're just saying kind of that's also kind of marketing towards a trend right. to a certain extent. Yeah, that's all. And I think that if you, in order to stick out when the, the like I, I guarantee every group will present, I mean, there's 16 total groups between the two classes. I bet you at least 13 of them are young women. Which is great. It's not. I'm not opposed to that, but I think that it'd be kind of cool to be the odd man out. Well, what would you do? Because you know, I feel like, to a certain extent, an elderly hero. It's not done completely, but it's also been done. What would you like? What other? I mean, I can't think of a really good example of one that's been done. Someone that has like In the a, Marvel a, a, a disability. 
Oh, you mean what old? Yeah, I mean Professor X is kind of one of the old ones. Magneto. Magneto. You know, they're the old guard. But I mean, like, what about like? How old's Doctor Strange? Mm. He's just middle aged. Yeah, I mean, I'm saying like. You're talking about elderly. Well, the character. It's more important that the character. Passes prime. Is passes prime. Or she is. Either is leading by having made the example and done it. I don't know. That's not fully fleshed out. No, but I, I get what you're trying to say. Did you ever see, um, you know, Wildcat in the DC Comics? Mm-mm. Did you ever watch the Justice League Unlimited mm-hmm. show? Mm-hmm. He, he played kind of a... An older... Medium role. But yeah, he was like an older, but he he's like Batman where he doesn't have powers. He's just a boxer. <laughs> so he just beats the shit out of people. But he's like 50... And Black Canary is, like, his adoptive daughter. Not literally, but, like, he's, like, her father figure. Mm-hmm. And, but she's like, your heart's bad, or, you know, mm-hmm. you're gonna pop a blood vessel or something. You can't keep doing this. He's just, like, beating the shit out of people. <laughs> kind of like that, too. I just feel like there's a... <laughs> Gotta take it to the home now. There's a, a stigma that... I think is newer to the 90s and, and now the millennials was this constant yearning for youth, which I think has existed nonstop. But I think there was a while where everyone tried to settle down after like World War II. So being like middle-aged was attractive right. and calm. So it was equivalent to having experience and knowledge. It's, right. And there was something, you know, that we've moved away from uh, craft-based labor and, and skill-based, not skill-based labor, but like craft skills towards um, a higher education system where you're you're being assigned a role and then you go into the, the workforce and work within roles kind of like that, but I still think that craft skill there's something there. I don't know what it is, but there's, those are the themes I want to evoke of like getting, like spending time to get really good at something and it's, it's okay to be really 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 talented at like a skill and 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 being able to pass that knowledge on i think is really important and we're losing that more and more because nowadays you don't like a job you leave you change jobs employers don't take care of their employees because everyone's dispensable right now so i don't know those are things i want to hit i doubt my group will go for it right because you have to be has to be agreed upon do you have any idea what your group's going to pitch? Like We've got to get through the Rube Goldberg thing first. We haven't even started. I've just started coming up with ideas for it because I, I hate going to meetings without... Like, Anything? Like I have to have like worked through all of my thoughts before I even go into the meeting. Okay. But I'm the kind of person that will like race to the concept. So. Okay. Well, I mean, if you guys are prototyping dudes, that seems like oh, yes. the thing that you do. It's like, all right, let's just go at this one. All right, this one didn't work. All right, back it up. Ten steps. I love that. I love that process, though, because it makes it way less scary. Sure. Because, um, like, because the failure loop is so quick. And so productive. Because you learn, as long as you're learning from every mistake, you're, you're doing fine. Man, I don't know what book I read it in. I think I read it in The Lean Startup by Eric Reese. There's a part where he's talking about, he had to send out all these invitations, right? Mm-hmm. And he had to physically fold them over and put them in the envelopes and lick the envelopes and seal them. Mm-hmm. And he, but there was more steps to it, so he had to like prep the paper and do all this stuff with it. And he had his daughter, who was I don't know, like ten or something, and said gave her a stack, 
and he goes, how do you think we should tackle this? And she says, well, we first should, like, fold all of them mm-hmm. and then stuff them all in the envelopes and then lick them all and, and seal them. Um, I don't think that's the exact analysis. But basically, she wanted to do all of one p- process, like, very waterfall. All of one process all together and then the next step all together and the next step. And he goes, okay, I'm going to individually, like, seal all of them and I'm going to have one completed letter and then I'm going to go to the next one then I'm going to fully complete all the steps in that process. It's like, let's see who finishes first. And ignoring the fact that he, you know, is much older than her, he finished first and his logic behind it was that if you go through the entire process of something first instead of trying to do instead of trying to finish one step of all your products at the same time, you learn so much more right. about iteration. about how it works and That's what doesn't work about that iteration. This is how do you do that for large scale projects? I don't know, like it, yeah, like the analogy isn't perfect and you have to kinda of like adapt the idea, but I understood the nugget about no, I think it's, I, mean, I think when you're you could apply it to game design where why go through the process of implementing a new game mechanic until you can like why develop all the 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 backbone for it to exist in your current process when you could just make a really small version of it and find out if it's interesting or fun. Right. Um, and I think that you'll you'll see more and more people move to that. And they were talking about that because there was some interview I saw with uh, Fulbright about Tacoma, and they said they never want to go above like twelve employees. And part of the reasoning behind that was because if you go any bigger, you have to have higher returns. So if you implement a gameplay mechanic and then find out halfway through your pipeline that it's not actually that interesting, you can't pivot. Right. You're you're bought into it. Right. One or you you wait a year and pivot with your expansion pack. Yeah, it's just going to be too. <laughs> <laughs> Tacoma 2.0. Destiny 2.0. The Diablo, Diablo 2.0. Yeah. That's a that's a weird trend. So I've been playing a lot of Destiny. Yeah, tell me about Destiny. It's the good. Taken King. It's pretty good. Have you been taken? I fought a lot of Taken. I like the whole mechanic. You know, what they did with... So, the Taken King is based around this guy who's the dad of a dad in the game. So he's a grandfather. Yeah. yeah so it's you John say, Stamos. You could say it's a grandfather. Oh, God, that show's <laughs> terrible. Oh, I haven't looked at it. Tim watched it. And, um... Anyways, so... You have the son of Crota, who's a boss, in the run-up to... Wait, is his name son of Crota? Yeah, I can't remember. It's just you fight the son of Crota. Okay. And then one of the expansion packs had you fight Crota. Which one? Which expansion Dark pack? Below. Okay. And then... Now you're fighting Oryx, who's Crota's daddy. And he's the Taken King, because he lives... So, a couple of things that I really like. Destiny's art direction is fucking rad. Yeah. It's so dope. And all the stuff they do with Oryx is... It's all this interdimensional stuff. Every time you walk over, like, these rifts, the whole screen, like, blurs, and, like, it looks excellent. No, I saw the quick look of that, and, like, they were just kind of staring at that rift, and Uh all the star points are shooting out, and I was like, that's pretty cool. Well, and what's really cool about it is that because it's on a 2D plane, and all of a sudden there's depth there, it throws off your depth perception as a player, because it's a flat screen anyways, but you're assigning more depth to it because it's all obscured. It really tripped me up, and like I kind of got like a weird like standing over, and I got like the sense of like vertigo because like when you look directly at it, it's just vast, and then you take two steps back, and it's a little hole hole in a spaceship wall. That's all rad. All the tape. So what I really like about it though is that, and what Bungie I think does really well with uh, encounter design, is 
they have these three factions: the 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 fallen, the cabal, and the hive. Which ones are the purple people? Purple people. And so like people with blue skin tones. You know what I'm talking about? They like live out in some asteroid belt or something. Oh, uh, those are that's one of the races that you can play as. Oh, okay. They're that's uh some other they're like I don't know space elves. They're dumb. Whatever. Space elves. The, the the actual Drexel. characters you play as, and I like I like the robot guys design, but the enemy design, the enemies, the fallen are your uh, traditional alien space race. The hive is kind of like the flood. Okay. Um, and the cabal are kind of like uh, the brutes. From Halo, that's like a really rough approximation. So you have these big, lumbering characters, these nimble, intelligent characters that work in pack mechanics, and then um, kind of like uh, what's it called, the rush Zerg. Okay. Um, so you have these. So you you play Destiny for a certain amount of hours, and you learn the, and they're all fun to fight. Like it is a, a, a fundamentally fun game to play, um, which is really interesting uh, because. Originally, the game wasn't that interesting around it. The narrative wrapper, the reasoning for her stuff, the loop, the gameplay loop wasn't that interesting or fun, but the, the shooting was so fun. So, but you got really used to these characters. The Taken King takes those same silhouettes, those characters, and then applies new mechanics to them that I'm still tackling, like I'm not used to, because their silhouette is close enough that you as a player, react to them the way you would traditionally. Okay. But, like, one of the characters, so there's, like, grunts. These little grunt dudes. And I can't remember what they're called. They're all, like... They're all... Knights, and they're all... It's, like, weird, regal... Like, medieval stuff. Yeah. Yeah. I love all that, too. Uh, Like, there's, like, the Greek ones that are all, like, the the centurions and the... Okay. It's it's awesome. Because they do that stuff with the the Prometheans Mm -hmm. in Halo 4. It's, like, they're all called knight and something, something, something. So it's that that vibe. So anyways, the, the, but they do these things that, like so, the cabal. There's these groups of them called um, legionnaires. So there's these region, these these cabal, and there are these guys that have these big shields. Okay. So traditionally, it is in your interest to get close to them and get behind them because the fastest way to get behind them is to get close to them. So these are basically parallel to the hunters. In Halo. Kind of, but they're big. They're like, if you took the hunters... Hunters are big. Oh, that's right. I was thinking of other, like big. the snipers with the shield. No, those are jackals. Okay. So, yeah, they're kind of like that, but you want to get behind them. In the Taken King, a Taken... And they're all, like, called, like, Tortured Cabal. They all have, like, you know, crazy names. Their shields now have a AOE um, force pushback. So, if you get too close again, they just throw you away. And a lot of the levels that it pisses me off have these ledges that you can fall right, off. Right, just throw you off. And that drives me nuts. I thought that was really cool because they're just playing on what you expect. So the sniper characters now have the ability to throw down a bubble shield. So instead of being able to counter snipe a sniper, you have to close the gap or wait for their shield to go down. Right. Um, the and they can still shoot through that shield. Like can they shoot uh, out of that shield? I don't know. And they fire these homing missiles, and those suck. Uh, so is there, do you get a shield, any sort of defensive... Like an overshield? ...mechanism, or anything, like an actual physical shield, like any sort of defensive mechanism in that game? Because you were taking, like, I was watching you play you, last night, and you're taking a lot of damage, and I'm like, there's, like, no damage mitigation. Well, I play, so the, the Warlock I play as is, like, super glass cannon Okay. Where I'm always, and I also play, like, I gotta get in, I get out, I get in, I get out. Because my guy, the way he works is that... The more melee damage I do, I can pull a shield on me when I cast a melee, when I have it charged up, I have like flame shield or whatever. 
So if I hit a guy, I develop like an overshield. And then I have a shotgun that when I am I do a melee attack, my shotgun does more, or if I shoot them with a shotgun, my melee damage does after, my melee attack after hitting him with a shotgun does more damage. So if I get that loop going, I can crank out like a ton more damage up close. That's very Super Borderlands-esque. Oh, like not even just a loop game. Very Diablo-esque. But also, yeah, like you're you're trying to stack your moves together because I remember... You want effective damage loops. Right. Like, wow. Yeah. Yeah. But like, applying it to that first-person shooter perspective... You know, I've seen that in Borderlands because I played Borderlands too, and I'm pretty sure at some point I had like a flame AOE shield. Mm-hmm. So I think if I lost on my shield, it just immediately blew up mm-hmm. and just damaged everyone around me. So you can so like the Titan does have like a shield, a bubble shield ability. Okay, one of the classes can do that, and that's useful for like he's, raiding and stuff. And he's like the tank equivalent because isn't the Titan the? He can. He's. They're all the. They all play like there's not really any roles. Except for like the warlock has the self res, um, but no one has like healing abilities, and everyone—it's all about just doing as much damage as possible and efficiently. Do you think that would make the game? I don't know. Do you think that would improve the dynamic of the game if there were some sort of role Class designation? Uh, mm, I think what is more interesting about their class system is that the classes do feel significantly different. But you can make a, a group of three warlocks and do just fine, or three ty- like there's no, no every- one class is responsible for DPS. No one class like they can all fit these different roles really well, and I think that what's important is the classes feel different to the player. But I think the arbitrary group dynamic, which I think WoW moved away from because it's not as fun. I think WoW started making more hybrid classes, making you know warriors having a better DPS role. With the um the arm spec and eventually the fury spec and then you know paladins went from these like super good healers to like they can become good tanks good healers and good deep like having more roles like that. Yeah, I remember the paladins kind of like being in flux for a while. Yeah. I was playing. It's like, well, paladin. Like, okay, go stay in the corner. You're really good at you know you're you're okay at a lot of things, but you're not really good at anything. Give me all my blessings. So, you know. It's pretty good though. I like I like the Taken King a whole bunch, and I think, you know, all of my problems was the progression. And I think I'm starting to hit a progression wall with my main dude. But at that point, I feel like I've gotten my money's worth. I also bought the one that came with the expansions too, so I got a pretty big package. Okay. For the whole thing, so it's it's good. It's really good. Um, and I play it like almost entirely by myself. So. Yeah, I saw your pickup dungeon group. You know, seemed cool. What are you playing? I played. I picked up Broken Age, because it was, uh, sixty six percent off on Steam, and I was like, what? at eight fifty, I might as well get this game. And Wendy really wanted to play it too, so and we've been watching the uh, Double Fine documentary series. Mm-hmm. We never, we didn't finish it, but watching all that and just knowing who Tim Schafer is, kind of just as a persona. I wanted to go in because I never finished. I finished Psychonauts. I think Psychonauts is great. Mm-hmm. Um, I didn't get very far into the legend, but I own it. I might go back to that eventually. And I've seen most of the story of Grim Fandango, mm-hmm. and so I kind of wanted to go go see you know see how he tackles writing mm-hmm. nowadays, like taking that kind of adventure game style from way back when and applying it to you know what we've learned in the interim, but. 
the start of the game, not the actual like game start of the game, but when the game boots, it's awesome. It's the most so. <laughs> Corey Schmitz is back. The okay. the fig guy, the mm-hmm. guy who made the fig logo, not Corey Schultz, which is why I called him the last time we talked about him on the podcast. He made all the UI, and UI is great because it's all this like construction paper looking stuff. So the main, so the game boots, and the start screen is the Broken Age logo, but not the way it looks on the box or on the you know little title card mm-hmm. before you boot into it. It's like a three D clay looking just floating in the sky and there's all these god rays kind of streaking through and it looks amazing and then right below that are the you know new game continue game load game options but they're all as wide as the screen and they're all look like they're on different pieces of construction paper that's awesome so when you like slide through them that one like comes up a little bit more but they're all covering one another material design yeah and it looks really good and then all the UI on in-game, because when you hit the pause button, the uh, pause menu comes down from the top, and it only takes up, like, the top banner. Third. Okay. Well, not even the third. It's, like, it takes up equivalent to what the black bar would take up. Okay. If you're a letterbox. And that comes down. And every option you pick, so there's, like, an option for subtitles isn't embedded in the audio or video options. There's just a option that says subtitles. Mm-hmm. And when you hit on that one, a box descends from it. It's just this giant switch, like an iOS or Android equivalent switch. And it says off or on. You just click it and it just goes chink, and it switches awesome. over and goes back chink. And then you you know hit B or hit pause and it'll send all the stuff up. But it's just really cool design like that. And then when the game starts, and you actually see the painted mm-hmm. artwork instead of just seeing it statically or in a video or anything like this like watching a video broken age does not give it enough credit as just playing it because you play it and it's just like oh man like this looks great you hit you hit start game and then it fades in the two main characters so vela and and shay and vela's sleeping up against a tree on the left half of the screen and shay's sleeping in his bed with this hollow blanket where it's just like polygonal outlines in his spaceship and so you can hit the stick back and forth left to right and their side will take up more of the screen but won't completely obscure the other one you can start either story first Mm -hmm. so i started with shay because i haven't seen much of his Mm -hmm. like i've seen most of the intro for vela and i um so i start his and his the dialogue i don't know if this is a flaw with the dialogue or the flaw with the performance but sometimes it's slower going than it should be. Like, the way the characters speak is, like, this very slowly paced on every fourth beat sometimes. And it kind of hits you over the head with the themes at the very beginning. It's like, do you understand beyond the story of about Shay? I want to... Uh, yeah, I don't, I'm going to play it eventually. So okay. I don't know. Like, well, the basic premise that they've been showing in all the trailers and stuff is that Shay lives on the spaceship. Right, I know that. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And then the AI... Takes care of them. He's yeah. Well, there's also the dad. Oh, I didn't Because they don't that. really tell you about the dad. Like, he makes reference to the dad in, like, trailers and stuff. But when you start Shays, he's sleeping in bed, and it's dad on the little orb, and dad's blue. Mm-hmm. And he looks like fucking, like, Tom Selleck. He's just got a big ass. That's awesome. Like, dad stash. Dad stash. And he's just like, hey, son. And, but Shay still sleeps. He's like, hey, son. It's like, have a good day. Mm-hmm. It's like, I'll see you tonight. And they just 
disappears. This so was playing on that theme of like your dad never, your dad's never home. Okay. Dad's always at work. Okay. Uh, so you never see him. But so they kind of like hit you over the head a little much about like okay, like the parents are overprotective, blah 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 blah. Shay's bored with this, mm-hmm. and it kind of does some of the things that we want to do with nightlife, where it kind of makes you do the same thing over and over. But I feel like their delivery with it isn't great. Really? Yeah, because it's just like. And this just might be me understanding already, like, okay, I know what they're going for, and then them take, going a little too long with it. Because basically, you play the same four missions. Over and over. Over and over. Until, yeah. you, until you figure out a way to break the loop. Which, it isn't a hard loop, but just kind of doing that. Shay audibly sighs, like, all the time, like, <sighs> It's like, yeah, I get it, you're bored. I'm bored. But I'm not interested by the fact that you're bored. I'm just like... I, I understand this concept. Can we go to the next story point? But it, it picks up. Like, it, it after that, it, it, it does better. The game mechanics, the, you know, classic adventure style, like, they've streamlined all of that. So you only have so many items. You can just pick the item right from your inventory and try rubbing it on everything. You can combine items, which I forgot. So there's, like, <laughs> there's a puzzle that you can only solve by combining two items. And the two items that you combine is not the rubber chicken with a pulley in the middle level of obscurity, but it's, like, halfway there. Mm-hmm. It's kind of like, all right. I mean, I I, sh- I could probably see this, but still, this is this is why people didn't like adventure games, because you did kind of stuff like this. Right. But it's also why people liked adventure games. Well, they did sell that as... Right. Which I So I understand, you know, why they're doing it. But, like, the game looks great. And so it's just some of, this, some of the delivery and some of the story kind of takes a while to start cranking up. And mm-hmm. I feel like Vela's out the gate is a lot stronger. And I've already seen a lot of it, so like maybe I, I probably didn't think it was as funny because I already heard a lot of the jokes. But hers can get pretty funny. So there's like a part where you find this family and they're isolated on this cloud society, mm-hmm. and the dad and the son are really bought. So it's a dad, a son, a mom, and his daughter. And the dad and the son are really bought into being there because there's a guru that they follow. Mm-hmm. And then you go talk to the mom. Mom's like, this is just a phase. I'm just, you know, supporting my husband until he gets out of this phase. It's better than when he was in his line dancing phase. And then you go talk to the daughter and the daughter's like a teenager where the son's like 10 or something. So he's like, you know, just wants to hang out with dad. But the daughter's like, you know, like this cult. <laughs> dad makes, made us join. And then the cult leader is Jack Black. Oh, man. Yeah. That's awesome. It's really good. And he's, like, on the top of this basically mountain equivalent, and you go up to talk to him, and he's just, like... And he keeps messing up, because it's, like, almost a Jonestown equivalent. Uh, yeah, yeah, Where you, he keeps... He stops putting on the, the veneer of being this sagely guy, and, like, forgets. And, like, to... And able to get up there, you have to actually take one of your items out mm-hmm. of your inventory and put, them in, put it in this basket. Mm-hmm. So it could be a pivotal item that you need, and you can always pick it back up, but it'll mm-hmm. close the gate. So you always have to have something... In that basket. In the basket to go see him. It's kind of cool. Yeah. So it looks beautiful. Like all the painted stuff. It's funny that you can tell that this was hand painted and they scanned it in and then like manipulated it. Mm-hmm. Especially with the backgrounds. Because when they do the cutscenes, sometimes they'll like zoom in on a point and focus on this one piece and it gets super like pixelated oh. because it's only at a certain DPI yeah. when they scanned it in. Mm. And, I, and I know some of it they digitally painted, but. So yeah, you can you can tell, and it's fine. It's like you know you can forgive him for that. Would you like? Are you gonna finish it? Oh yeah, like I played it for three hours yesterday, and I'm already like 
almost halfway done with it. That's cool. Because what happens is you play Shay's first half, and something happens. Is part two out yet? Yeah, it's all. Oh, it's, it's all, all done. <clears throat> so you play Shay's part, and then you finish that, and then they make you play Vela's part, and you do the first half of that. Well, I'm going to download it. It's on PS Plus this month, so... It's really cool. And there's a scene when you leave the Cloud Colony, you crash into this uh, woodsman's uh, house. And the woodsman's house is kind of famous in the documentary because that was, like, one of the first test scenes they made. Because mm-hmm. they were just like, all right, um, I forget the name of the artist that uh, did most of the painting. It was like, make us, like, some test assets. And he made this lumberjack. and made this little house. And then... Uh, what the programmer that was working on it built the engine and built it so they could facilitate right, all yeah. this stuff. Yeah. And so they kind of redid that scene. Like most of the background stuff is the same, but they like redid the the way the lumberjack looks and the lumberjacks, uh, <laughs> voiced by Will Wheaton. That's awesome. And so you crash into his house and he has like boarded up everything. And there's like just a visual gag of him boarding up the windows, he boarded up the door, and then it cuts to the fireplace and the fireplace is boarded up, but there's still a fire going on inside the fireplace. Awesome. And he's like freaking out because apparently the trees talk now and outside. So he's like think thinking the trees are after him, so he crash to the roof. He's like, Don't ah, they're finally coming to get me. It's just really funny. Nice. Yeah. So yeah, that's that's good. Like some of the writing isn't as strong as I thought it would be, but hard to stick with landing for that long right and like the game's built on writing and it's also what's a better example you think of consistent writing oh I always go to Gone Home or Dear okay. Esther but the problem is I was comparing it to those things right so this tone is much more ephemeral ephemeral and, and, and you know kitty it's like an E10 game I don't or know something. if you like that tone I mean that might be the issue too yeah it's like you know I like I like Pixar but like Pixar takes itself pretty seriously at times. Like it knows how to it knows how to modulate between being a kids movie mm-hmm. and then doing adult tones. And this and this game does it sometimes, but I feel like it's the line between being childish and fun and then being serious is a lot more jagged. Really? It's a hard it's a hard time. I mean I, I genuinely think that like writing Writing funny is really, really, really hard. Oh, and they do the funny fine. Like I don't have. But any... I mean, like writing like funny that, because you have to have these these pits of, of not being funny in order for the because if you're just making someone laugh for an hour and a half, it's gonna wear, right? It has to move in ways, and there has to be the straight man, or you know, there has to be flatitude so that you so that something weird can happen again, and it still feels weird. Right. Comedy's hard, and comedy is it's constantly you're having to subvert expectations. Or you get to have a point of view. You know what I mean? And I think that that's a lot harder than like doing something dramatic. Or, uh... Not to say that drama is not hard. But, like, if you had to say, write something... I could... If you were... I would be more scared to write something funny than I would be to write something dramatic. Right, because there's the expectations. Like, I better be entertained. I better laugh at the end of this. Well, we've all... I think everyone's felt the the drama that you need to write drama. And I'm not sure everyone can be funny. Right. I think writing funny is very, very hard. I have more respect for people that write funny. Sure. It's, yeah. And, you know, I I just probably had improper expectations going in because, like, just, there's just this, all this push between, behind this game and it, you know, and it's just this marvel, marvelous looking thing. So I was curious, like, what the depth it was going for. Mm-hmm. And if it's, you know, and it's going to have a moral, it's going to have a point as a theme. Do you think you ruined it with your expectations, though? I do that a lot. <laughs> I was like, I feel like Gone Home probably caught you off guard. Right, because I didn't know. I was like, oh, I heard this right. is good. Go, or Dear Esther. 
And I feel like any new Pixar movie you're going to approach with a... Well, I did that with Inside Out. Right, a lens of, of, of you know, and I, I try to avoid doing that because I think that it, when, when you get in that loop, it's impossible for you to, to really see things for what they are versus yeah. what you want them to be. Right. And I think that I approached the second Avengers movie with what I wanted it to be, yeah. and I ruined it for myself. Well, that's why Avengers 1 was so good for me, because, like, I had no... I was like, I didn't see... Well, I don't think anyone knew it was going to be what it was, But though. I actively thought it was going to be bad. Really? I was like, I don't care, I don't care, and then everyone was like, you should go see it. And it was good. I was like, I'll go see it. It was fun. I also played... Splinter, or I finished Splinter Cell Blacklist. Okay. And, um... That game's good. I like that game. That that, that game ended on a positive note. For really? Not like a cheery note, but it, <laughs> it it ended well. So do you know this uh, uh, Fifth Freedom thing? Yes. Like in, in that's the, like a big. That's a big. That's from so. the first game. Well, they didn't really talk about it at all much. I mean, I didn't play much of the side ups, but they didn't talk about it much until the final act. The but I feel like it started out as the Fourth Freedom. Well, it was third echelon, and now it's fourth echelon, so I don't even know. That's what it was. So it's third echelon, and then the fifth freedom. So now they're fourth echelon, which I thought that was really dumb. Yeah, I don't. Yeah, because third echelon was cool. So did, like third echelon shut down because of con- all the events in conviction. Uh, it happened before. Con- uh, con- double, double agent. Double agent. Double agent shut third echelon down. Okay. So, so one of the final scenes. Well, not yeah. One of the final scenes. So the last level is in the place called Site F. Which is like, basically the um, I don't know if this is a real thing, but they talk about how because of the uh, engineers' attack, they initiate something called continuity of government. Have you heard of that before? I don't know if that's a real thing. It's something Tom Clancy thing. I think. Well, I remember it being also used in Eagle Eye, that movie with Shia LaBeouf. But so basically, it's this concept that like, if they know that there's a impending terrorist attack, they put all the cabinet members and the president in a bunker. So if there is a, ter- a nuclear attack or something, the mm-hmm. government will still be standing, and they can still make executive decisions. Oh, and yeah. They, well, they, when everything bad happens, they put the whole staff in Air Force One. Oh, okay. And keep them airborne. That's probably smarter. Well, I don't know. When, nine, George, George Bush didn't put feet on the ground for, like, I think 72 hours after 9-11. Really? Yeah. Oh. They just keep refilling the plane in midair. Right. I think that's that's awesome. It's crazy. Just midair refills are so cool. But so they do that, and so... And then engineers know this, and they take them all hostage, and they're doing this hostage negotiation. But mm-hmm. Sam Fisher, being Sam Fisher, knows that they want something else. So they go. So you break into this the the military bunker, and it's underneath Denver Airport. Oh God, that's awesome! So like, because you know Denver Airport's like a big people think weird shit's going on in Denver Airport. Oh really? That's weird. Have you ever been there? Uh uh-uh. uh It's fucking weird. Uh-uh. But like, you have to fly. So Corbin flies the plane down like undercover because like you tell the president that you're going to come there and try to f- stop Sadiq and she's like we're going to shoot you down if you come so then I have to cover go under radar and land the plane like with all the lights out and everything and then I love that airplane oh, mechanic it's so dumb but it's so awesome yeah I love how you can upgrade it to have a better radar like why wouldn't you just put a better radar <laughs> on the fucking plane and start with but how do you do a mid-air upgrade if the thing's yeah. always in the air just strap a couple on few more television dishes but that the start of that scene is really cool because you um it's all it's like snow covered and it's just a blizzard yeah man you're just like going through the snow covered area and trying to just dig yourself down into the base snow tech always looks really good as a change of scenery too i think everyone loved it in uncharted 
I want to get that, the Uncharted collection. Oh, yeah? Because I want to finally play, like, through Uncharted 3. Yeah, I haven't played any of them. They're cool. But so, so a scene later on is, so you find out that Sadiq actually wants to get all this uh, data. Like, there's a huge server or data access there. Mm -hmm. And they have the Secretary of, it's either Secretary of State or Secretary of Defense. And he's, like, this old army vet, Mm -hmm. old military guy. And what they're going to do is they're going to torture him to him put in the password to get access to the servers so they um they start they Sadiq like gives a pair of like hedge clippers or pliers or something and tells him to start cutting off mm-hmm. uh fingers mm-hmm. and um Sadiq goes off and do something and they do like part of the scene then they come back and the secretary's entire hand's gone <laughs> and he's like what the fuck are you doing it's like he's gonna bleed out now give me the tourniquet and he like puts the tourniquet on the guy's arm that's pretty good and then at this point Briggs gets captured and they bring him into the same room as the secretary and they're like the secretary's on the verge of giving up the passwords mm-hmm. he's like about to do it so Briggs like breaks out of the guy that's holding him and then just grabs the secretary and Sadiq holds a gun to him he's like you're not gonna do anything cause you wouldn't kill him and there's just a huge in that projector like the big text that goes on the wall it just says press X to exercise fifth freedom and I'm like what's that and I hit it he just snaps the guy's neck that's awesome can you not do it no you have to do it really I mean, I'm sure... I don't know what happens if you just wait. I always play those games non-lethal. I stun everyone. Well. Put them to sleep. You're gonna kill a secretary. Yeah. A cabinet member. That's awesome. Yeah. So it's kind of dumb cool. it says exercise fits freedom. Well, I don't know. It's kind of cool. So Conviction is a good game. Or Blacklist. Yeah, I like Blacklist. I like it too. I, I should I should have beaten it. Maybe I'll get around to it someday. I still gotta beat The Witcher 3. Still gotta beat MGS5. I still gotta beat People Mad like Max. Rainbow Six Siege. It looks interesting to me. We have the beta access for that. It ended. Oh. Or it ends like this week. We don't have the beta access for that. I might try it though. I don't have time. So, Blacklist. Hmm. Anything else you can play? Nah, that's about it. I don't think I've been playing anything else. Have you touched Mad Max anymore? No. I'm gonna get to it though. Right now, I feel like the reason Destiny's working really well is that I can go and do the daily stuff and it takes like 40 minutes. Right. And that's about like my capacity. For every few days, I have about probably an hour to really sit down. And, like, the other thing I like about Destiny is that it is at a certain level of progression. Like, I don't feel like I'm ever wasting time. And as soon as I hit that point, I'll stop. Right. And I do that. Like, yeah. I, I haven't really done any more of the side-ups I've, in Blacklist. But I went back and beat that one that I failed, like, ten times. <laughs> I'm like, oh, so I can just stun these guys and yeah. I won't automatically fail. So I'm just, like, stun-bolting everyone. Nice. The yeah. bow's cool. But, yeah, we probably won't be able to chance to talk about a lot of the news. That's fine. Is there anyone you want to talk about in particular today, or do you want to save them for when we can actually go into discussion on them? Well, we can hold off on them. Okay. Oh, wait, no. I want to talk about... Uh, this is just something that happened to me. I want to talk about this Unity bug okay. that I ran into. Okay. So I upgraded to Unity 5.2, and I know we talked about the uh, analytics before. Mm-hmm. But... <laughs> so each each project you made is associated with the version that you created in. Mm-hmm. So it's just like software. So like if you make something in Xcode... Right. whatever 10 and then you upgrade to 10.5 or whatever version they're on they there's going to be changes in the code and changes in the compiler mm-hmm. and it might break something that you had so a, a solution that you had before might not work now mm-hmm. so that's why you go and you read the change report right the change log and know what bugs they're aware of and everything like that or you find out the hard way and the common knowledge is to if you're working on a current commercial product you don't upgrade it. Whatever version you start on, you see it all the way till the end, unless you're 100% sure that upgrading to a new version of whatever 
software package you're using isn't going to break it. So most of the projects uh, we have are in 5.0.0, mm-hmm. and so I upgraded it to 5.2.0, and the only ones I've upgraded so far are Arbo and, and Nightlife. Mm-hmm. So I booted Nightlife just because I wanted to see uh, uh, have it play, and the music starts playing. It's like, all right, that's okay. Any sound effect, all the all the audio is like dropped. Mm-hmm. Like it's just super soft. Right. And I was like, what the hell is going on? Why mm-hmm. isn't this working? And so you know, I was trying all these different fixes. Nothing was really working. And so so what happened is, I don't have audio, whatever the audio component's called. I don't have it attached to every object. If if something plays a sound effect, so like the sword slash, mm-hmm. what that's doing is it's creating a separate one-off audio object and then attaching that sound clip to the audio object and then playing it and then deleting that object. Oh. Whereas what you can do is you can, I could attach a audio object to the player character and then have all the audio route through that. So why the former version worked before is that when the one-shot audio plays, it defaults to 2D. Mm-hmm. Now it defaults to 3D sound. Oh. So depending on how far away the camera is... It's now it's getting just, it... Oh, 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 oh yeah, I so see. it's all relative to distance. Gotcha. So I had to add audio sources... Got it. ...components to the object itself, and mm-hmm. then play the music through that, or play the sound effects through that. Because all the music's fine, because all the music are audio objects. Hmm. So, <laughs> read the notes, kids. Read the uh, product. Yeah, well... I mean, that's weird. I wonder if you're the only person that had that happen to, or did you, did you see anything else about that happening? Other people? Yeah, I saw one or two things. I, I don't really frequent the Unity forums. I just go on Google and Google mm-hmm. the whatever issue I'm having. But I'll, then I'll get a, a forum post from like two years back, which isn't gonna help me because this was released I don't yeah. know, a month ago. That's what happens with frameworks too. Well, that's. I'm glad you figured it out. Yeah, I am too. I just have to go through and put audio sources on really? all the objects. There's gotta be a better way. There's got to be a better way. Well, I can encode have them create yeah. ones, but it's not a big deal. It's okay. just clicking two buttons. Cool. Well, we will record again, and eventually we'll get them on the website. Yep. Bye, Dylan. Bye.